Thanks for joining us on the Museum Revealed podcast. This episode was recorded using Skype, so you may hear a bit of background noise, which we like to call atmosphere. We hope you enjoy this episode too, so let's get started. Revealed a podcast brought to you by the Queensland Museum Network. Join me, Dr. Rob Bell, as we chat to the people that make museums so fascinating, from curators to scientists and researchers. We dive deep into conversations with these storytellers, inspire us to be curious about our past, make sense of the present, and help us consider the future. And today we're joined by Dr. Espen Krutzen. And now, Espen, you're a paleontologist, but you specialise in prehistoric sea reptiles. So how do you go about finding these sea monsters? Uh, that's right. I do specialise in, uh, in sea monsters, but I do also dabble in, uh, in dinosaurs. But as with any fossil, uh, you got to sort of, when you go out to look for these, you got to know what type of rocks are you looking for. Uh, so you want to look for rocks that were deposited for in, in marine uh, environment, for the marine critters, obviously, and, uh, and rivers and, and lakes for the ones that might have lived on land. Uh, and then you want to obviously look for the ones that are of the right age as well. So you, what we do is uh, we're lucky to have other geologists uh, trod the ground and map all the geology, well, most of it, <laughs> and given us an age for them. So we can just look at a map and go, okay, we've got marine rocks of uh, Cretaceous age out that way. So then we just jump in the car and we sort of drive out there and we walk around for hours on end staring at the ground, looking for little bits and pieces of bone or teeth that might have uh, eroded out of the uh, hillside and then we can sort of follow it up hill and try and figure out where the source is where it might come out from so that's how we find them but then there's a whole process after that of how to actually get them out of the rock and, and bring them back to the museum so i guess for people listening to this they might be thinking well if it's a marine fossil you're looking for shouldn't you be looking in the ocean but obviously prehistoric times were were different so you're finding them in what in outback places, in mountain ranges, all sorts of places? Well, obviously not the top of a mountain, I suppose, but... Well, sometimes. Uh, so I worked, did a lot of work in the Arctic, and up there we were uh, several hundred metres above sea level in the, in the oh, mountains, yep. collecting uh, reptiles that swam in the ocean 150 million years ago. So there's a couple of uh, different ways you might get uh, marine deposits or marine animals fossilising in what is now land. Uh, here, for, for Queensland's uh, perspective... Uh, we had an inland sea that covered most of inland Queensland on, and northern New South Wales about 110 million years ago. So partly, partly that was caused by uh, a rise in sea level, but we also had uh, changes in the, uh, I suppose you could call it in the uh, uh, elevation. If you compare it to the centre of the Earth, sometimes plates will go up and down okay. in the mantle for the various reasons. It might be interactions with other with other continental oceanic plates that might force them up or push them down. Uh, and that can change the relative uh, elevation of the plates themselves, which might in, make them get inundated by ocean. And if you have a sea level rise as well, you might get an additional flooding. So that's one reason how we can get, uh, in particular for the Queensland case. Other ways is obviously uh, plate tectonics, where continental plates interact and you get mountain uh, chains uh, forming from uh, collisions of uh, continental plates. 
and they even get uh, sediments they used to be at the bottom of an ocean gets pushed up and uh, turned into uh, mountain ranges so you can find fossils you know a thousand meters above sea level well and is it um does it take a lot i suppose it depends on the sort of rock in which the fossil is found but it can take a bit of work to get them out yeah, so uh, if you're lucky, uh, you can find it in uh, shale, which is often uh, easier to extract fossils from because it's kind of flaky and brittle most of the time. Uh, so often you can just pick away the rock with it, uh, some tweezers and a, and a paintbrush. Other times there might be a lot of the fossils here, for instance, in Queensland are in uh, so-called con concretions. So you have really hard rocks surrounding the skeleton. And uh, then you need to use a tiny little thing called an air scribe that works a little bit like a, a, a jackhammer. It runs on air, and there's a little needle point that goes very fast in and out. And you sort of knock off uh, the uh, rock around the fossil with this tiny little needle, and that can take, you know, 6, 12 months at least uh, to uh, get anywhere near close to finish uh, preparing our fossil. And other times, if you're really lucky, well, you can have the chemistry, uh, chemistry differences between the uh, or chemical differences between the rock and the fossil that allows you to submerge the whole specimen in an acid bath. Uh, and it will dissolve the the yeah, and it will dissolve the rock but leave the bones and teeth alone. Ah, that would that would be the best way to do it, I imagine. If, if of course it was possible all the time, which clearly it isn't. <laughs> it's not so much hard work. You can just sit there and let the acid do the job, sort of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Now, look, a lot of your research uh, is part of a uh, new exhibition, Sea Monsters. Can you tell me a little bit about the exhibition and, and how you decided what sort of goes into an exhibition like this? Well, it can be pretty tricky because there's so much to choose from, as you might, uh, might know. So the whole point of the exhibition is to sort of show uh, people what the world might have looked like, you know, 150 uh, to 100 million years ago when you didn't have whales, you had turtles. No whales, you didn't have a lot of the marine life that we're so familiar with uh, today, but we had critters that look kind of different. Some look very similar, like the ichthyosaurs, for instance. They are fish-like, dolphin-like uh, lizards or reptiles. So they're a completely different group of animals, but they have all the very similar uh, body shape to dolphins and, and some tuna-like fish, uh, just because of the way they live. And then you had the plesiosaurs that look completely different from anything we have today. Four-flipped animals some with really long necks being more than half, you know, sometimes two-thirds of the complete body length with a tiny little head on the end, to the uh, type of uh, chronosaurus-like animals you have here in Queensland from that time period, that is giant 12-metre-long uh, uh, marine monsters that were the apex predators of their time. So trying to sort of show people how different things look, but also similar at the same time, you sort of have the same, uh, uh, same kind of ecological uh, variability going on even back then. And so these were the kind of creatures that were around uh, in the age of the dinosaurs, although they're not, we can't call them dinosaurs, correct? Yeah, that's right. So they were in the Mesozoic era, so the age of reptiles is sometimes referred to. Uh, and they are sometimes called dinosaurs just from uh, the way they look, I suppose, but they belong to a different group of, uh, of reptiles. Just like ichthyosaurs is different from plesiosaurs again, pterosaurs are different from dinosaurs, and crocodiles are different from dinosaurs. So it's... Uh, so, yeah, it's a different group. They have a different ancestor, in a sense, uh, and therefore they're a different group of reptiles, although they lived at the same time as dinosaurs and kind of superficially, I suppose, looked like uh, like dinosaurs uh, in some aspects. And the plesiosaur, is that the one that everyone likes to think might be the Loch Ness Monster? <laughs> yes, probably. So <laughs> it's uh, old 
reconstruction that you see, they're also posed for this one like uh, neck sticking out of the order. But uh, more, more recent research showed that they pretty much couldn't move their, their neck uh, much above the uh, body plane, and uh, most of the movement would be slightly side to side, but mostly just uh, up and down from sort of uh, horizontal and downwards. Okay, excellent. Look, we're going to find out a little bit more about the Sea Monsters exhibition, and I will be shortly asking you which is your favourite sea monster. So have a think about that and join us shortly. Museum of Tropical Queensland in Townsville, which is part of the Queensland Museum Network, delivers a snapshot of North Queensland with incredible galleries telling stories of World Heritage listed rainforests, reefs and the tragic tale of the famous shipwreck HMS Pandora. Visit us online to find out more about these exciting stories. Welcome back to the Museum Revealed podcast. We are chatting with Dr Espen Knutzen from the Museum of Tropical Queensland and we are talking all about sea monsters because we've got an exhibition going on that's all about sea monsters of course uh tell me espen i flagged it earlier but do you have a favorite amongst these uh, ancient creatures well there's a lot lots to choose from but i think uh seeing that i've described probably five or six species so i'll have to choose one of them oh of course uh, yes so <laughs> we've got a giant one that we've dug out in uh, in the arctic uh, that we nicknamed predator rex uh, was made a documentary out of that uh, when it's round around the world um, called Plyosaurus funkii, which is a 15, 15 meter long chronosaurus like thing. So it's a little bit like a massive crocodile with four flippers and wow. cucumber sized uh, teeth. So pretty, pretty nasty, nasty thing to run into. Uh, yeah, it's later acid. Swim next yeah. one, definitely. So tell me now, this should have twigged earlier, of course, but you're so much like you can find uh, marine reptiles in the middle of what is today the desert or up on mountains finding them down in antarctica obviously reptiles not that fond of cold water but that's not what was around back then yeah so uh, the ones that i've been digging up in the arctic so the other side but you also oh, do find, you also do find them in antarctica there are pieces uh, from there that are, live just after the ones we found here uh, and also the dinosaurs we find there obviously and the plant fossils show us that there was a lot warmer milder climate uh, back in the Cretaceous period in both Antarctica and the Arctic as well. And with continents being in different positions even back uh, then as well, things have, have moved around. Um, Antarctica, I suppose, was originally sort of joined to the bottom of Australia somewhere, so you'd, you'd get crossovers to where things have distributed since then as, as the plates shift around. That's right. So Australia was pretty much rotated uh, uh, clockwise 90 degrees. And uh, what's now Melbourne was sort of attached to Melbourne and Tasmania and, or Victoria and Tasmania was attached to uh, Antarctica back in those days. And South America was again on the other side attached to uh, uh, to Antarctica as well. So you see that in the dawn dinosaur corners that uh, they could sort of migrate between Australia and, uh, and South America. Huh. Fascinating. So we probably, now that we're talking about such long timelines here with, you know, entire continents being in different positions and being attached to each other. Can you give us an idea of, um, I suppose, how long ago these creatures lived and did they all sort of live at the same time, the ichthyosaurs, the plesiosaurs? Um, and were there any modern day relatives, uh, turtles, for example, that things that people would sort of go, oh yeah, I've seen one of them now. Did they exist back then as well or, or a version thereof? Yeah, also, uh, turtles are relatively recent compared to plesiosaurs and ichthyosaurs. They are mostly from the Jurassic uh, period and onwards. Uh, although you do have That's their ancestors. still a long time ago, though, right? <laughs> it's still talking, you know, somewhere between 200 and 150 million years wow. ago. Um, but most of these uh, 
and like ichthyosaurs and plesiosaurs and their relatives sort of popped up uh, not long after the end permanent extinction, which was the greatest, uh, or maybe not the greatest, but if you want to use that word, but it's the worst uh, mass extinction in the Earth's history. <laughs> and uh, so with 97% of all species pretty much going extinct, you had all these vacant niches on the planet uh, seeking to be filled by the survivors of the extinction. And uh, a lot of them tried uh, the uh, the uh, aquatic lifestyle, so uh, uh, animals that uh, normally lived on land, sort of adapting to uh, a life in water to uh, seek out those resources that were freely available there from fish and other things. Mm-hmm. And you get a whole group of, uh, in particular, reptiles in that time period that were trying out this uh, aquatic or semi-aquatic lifestyle, amongst them being the ancestors of ichthyosaurs and plesiosaurs. So it's pretty much, yeah, from, from then on, you start seeing these uh, these uh, critters uh, in the early Mesozoic era. Yeah, so that's fascinating. These, this is, this is in fact, their second sort of journey into the ocean in that, you know, life sprung out of the ocean onto the lands, started flourishing. This is what we see with uh, what happens at the end of the, after the end of Cretaceous extinction when all the marine reptiles are wiped out, except for the turtles and the crocodiles. And all the dinosaurs on land are wiped out. You see in the ocean, there's three vacant niches again after the Cretaceous period. And only within 15 million years or so, you start seeing the first whales or cetaceans cropping up, uh, taking advantage of those niches. And obviously, cetaceans or whales also being uh, uh, coming from a terrestrial uh, ancestor, a bit like a pig or a hippo-like thing. I love the way as a paleontologist, paleontologist you say just 15 or so million years later. <laughs> just, just to show... Pretty quick on a geological timescale, I'm sure, but to uh, to most people, that's obviously an eternity. Um, can you also just tell us really quickly about some current research you're working on? You mentioned you've described sort of six species. Actually, I'm going to start with the six species you've described. Do you get to uh, have any input into the names of the species, or is that a bit of a myth? Yeah, so it's a bit of a group effort, uh, the whole project. We were relying on uh, volunteers every time we were up there for 10 years collecting fossils. Uh, so we sort of chose to uh, honour the volunteers of the project uh, okay. by including their last names in the species names. So uh, a lot of them have, it's a mix between, so all species will have a genus name and a species followed by a species name. And uh, we would have some of them would might be descriptive of the animal that we named. Some of them might contain names of a main sponsor or a main person that was part of the project. Uh, so we as a group sort of just decided that. So if you're, if you're all alone about it, it's up to you to decide whatever name you want to name it. Uh, but it's very frowned upon to name it after yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's good. I think I think it's yeah, it should be incumbent on people to think of yeah. someone else noble. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so what is what is your current day like? What what does a research day look like for you at the moment? So you know, this year sometime, if if you're going out looking for fossils, where would it be, and what would you be looking for? It was quite different now since I'm working from home, but I just returned from the field. So when I'm out in the field, I try and get out as much as I can. Uh, uh, and we pretty much yeah, go to localities where we know that there's gaps in the fossil record from this time period uh, and the type of fossils we want to know about, so dinosaurs or marine reptiles and whatever it might be. And we go out specifically looking for that. But I also bring with myself geologists, so yeah, they go to areas that they haven't been to try and get an understanding of uh, the environment that was around at the time when whatever fossils we might find were living. So we don't still don't know too much about, for instance, the Jurassic environment of eastern Australia. We're trying to figure out how that was, where were the rivers, how were the rivers flowing, 
when did we get the first oceans coming in over the land and all that sort of stuff. And that's what the rocks can tell us in addition to the fossils that we find. So it's uh, going out uh, as much as we can like that and just gather all this data from all these different sources. And obviously also finding the most uh, fascinating thing, which are the animals, to me, uh, that lived in these areas. Yeah, fill in those gaps in the, in the geological history. So it's specifically, are you travelling around Australia at the moment or the world when, when you're looking for the fossils? Uh, so no, it's mainly, uh, mainly Australia, so uh, mainly Queensland as well, because it's okay, quite cool. Like being up from Townsville, it's, well, sort of not really doorstep, but to compare to other places to travel from, from it's, uh, you know, within a 10-hour drive, you can get to most of uh, the time periods in the geological history uh, of the Earth. And... Uh, Quite fossiliferous, by no means have uh, all these areas been exhausted when it comes to looking for, for fossils of any kind. Uh, we've been to several areas recently where as no one's been there for 60 years, and even then they weren't really looking for fossils. So there's places out there that no one's really looked at all that could hold keys to secrets that we, we don't really know anything about yet. So very exciting just to go out to these uh, remote areas and, and see what's there. Do you, tell me, do you find any fossils, when you're looking for these really quite ancient sea monsters, do you find any fossils of creatures that are basically still around today in much the same form? Uh, so, something like a, a nautilus or... I mean, are there yeah, we, like find, we find a lot of fish fossils. Uh, okay. Some of the relatives of today, obviously not the same ones, although uh, you might have heard of the Latin era, so the lungfin fishes and lungfishes, they're obviously oh, around course, since yeah. before the Triassic period as well and are still around today. Uh, uh, and, yeah, like you said, they're nautiloids, so these uh, relatives of, uh, of squid that have these curled-up shells, where there's one nautilus uh, still around today. And uh, we find some of them in the fossil record as well here in Queensland. So there are things that are reminiscent of what we see today and some things that are sort of directly related to what we see today. I feel like there's almost a new tourism campaign needed for Townsville there. You've got all of these geological timescales just on your doorstep. Yeah, well, even even just a half an hour from town here, we can go and look at Devonian sponge reefs. Uh, so now we have the big, massive coral reef, uh, uh, reefs around the world. But uh, back in the Devonian, there weren't so much uh, coral reefs, as much there were sponge reefs and uh, the occasional corals sort of living on the sponge reef. And we can find animals that live in there, like the uh, nautiloids or the ammonoids, uh, these curled up shells, the squids, and uh, placodont, uh, uh, sorry, placoderm fish, which are these uh, primitive fish with uh, bony sort of uh, scales on their on their heads, uh, head coverings in particular. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff. Esmond, thank you so much for joining us today on the Museum Revealed podcast. And don't forget, the Sea Monsters exhibition is at the Queensland Museum from November to May 2021. So get out there and have a look at that. Hopefully you learned a whole lot more from the podcast that you didn't know today. I certainly did. And if you're interested in learning even more, then follow the Queensland Museum on social media at QLD Museum or head to the website qm.qld.gov.au. And while you're there, you can sign up for the e-news list so you can stay up to date on absolutely everything. And until next time, of course, stay curious.